You are listening to Explore by the Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. This episode of Explore by the Cycling Podcast completes a circle because the first ever episode in this series back in 2017 was an interview with Mark Bowman. It was on the subject of his record-breaking ride around the world when he rode 18,000 miles or 29,000 kilometres in just 79 days. His life has been full of such exploits before and since, but more recently he took on a new challenge. Almost unbelievably, it was his first organised race, the GB Duro, which takes competitors the length of Britain from Land's End to John O'Groats by track, gravel and road. Well, let's hear what GB Duro says about itself. Its ethos is that professional cycling has lost its way. In July 2019, Tour de France riders battled with extreme weather. Temperatures exceeded 40 degrees Celsius on stage 16. That was followed by freak hailstones and infamous stage-stopping landslide on stage 19. The race was won by a team bankrolled by a petrochemical giant. Meanwhile, in January 2020, bushfires raged throughout Australia as riders were trying to kick off the Tour Down Under. Another race with an eye-watering carbon footprint sponsored by an oil and gas major and an airline. Pro cycling is not just an innocent bystander caught in the crossfire of climate change. It's an active participant driving us off a cliff. It is time cycling got unlost. GB Juro is our vision of what sustainable sport could look like. GB Juro goes on to say to describe its event as a 2,000 kilometre self-supporting bikepacking enduro from Land's End to John O'Groats on road, gravel, single track and everything in between. The event follows our GB Divide route designed to embrace the versatility of all road bikes to cover big distances on new roads and ancient ways, immersing riders in the rich and unique history that has shaped the British Isles. The ride consists of four timed stages with the lowest aggregate time over the four stages winning. Nothing. There are no prizes in GB Duro. On his way to the start in Land's End, Mark gave me a call. He wondered if we'd be interested in an audio diary from the event. The answer was, of course, yes, please. So here it is. I should have known that Mark, despite his protestations of inexperience, would not be content to just ride round. But I don't want to give you any spoilers. So please enjoy, with some guest contributions, Mark Bowman's audio diary from GB Juro. GB Juro is intense. It's stunning. It's the ultimate wild adventure you could have on the bike in the UK. It's brilliant. It's mad. Miles Rezzo. Uh, we describe it as a scrappy rolling picnic. Some people kind of understand and, and some don't. Land's End to John O'Groats on gravel. You've got some single track in there. You've got some fast flowing tracks. You've got a lot of roads. It sort of tests the rider to, you know, you need to be a versatile rider. Um, but it's also not, it's not that serious. One of the key things about it is that there's no prizes and there's no support. Because there's no, like, there's no point in doing it per se, you know, you're not going to get this reward, then in itself, that riding and that journey is the reward. That's what I'm excited about, basically. 
a lot of these people, they're going to be like pretty goal oriented people. You have to be motivated to do this. But at the same time, what's special is that to make sure that goal doesn't get in the way of the flow, if you like, and actually the experience of doing it. And I think sometimes the goal can become the be all and end all. And therefore it sort of detracts from the from the actual thing that you're on. I'd say at times it's a very lonely event. You're testing yourself and, and there's a lot of, you know, getting to know yourself. Uh, but the other aspect is, of course, there is a community as well. So you're doing it with like-minded people, which gives you kind of a buzz because it's not everyone wants to do this sort of thing. Kind of those two extremes uh, makes it quite an exciting, you know, place place to be and, you know, to mingle with others and to see to see how everyone kind of copes with the with the trials and tribulations of it. So deep down I'm a, I'm a systems biologist by sort of training. I'm deeply concerned about the environmental crisis and what's exciting is that I think sport could be a vehicle to actually progress and to find new ways of doing things rather than just sport being for sport's sake or you know if we take Formula One as an example it the technological innovation that's come through that sport and that competitive process has been profound. Uh, but I'd argue it's been misdirected. So in ultra cycling, it's less about the technology focus and more about reframing how we operate in, in ourselves. So it's really a matter of conviction. You know, most things are possible. It's just how much do you want it? And in the case of of the flying, you know, last year Spain rode from Andorra to the start of GB Duro. So that was something like 2,000 kilometres. You know, most people think that's ridiculous. It's just changing that perception and challenging, does it have to be like that? And actually, if we're here on this little island, can we actually explore our little island a bit more? You know, you don't have to jet off and be a complete tourist in someone new. You can actually... Um, you know, learn more about the place that you, you actually like, live and, and reside. And I think that brings a lot of surprises to people, really, how much uh, good riding there is in the UK. For me, this is, this is like the perfect balance between hard riding and, you know, downtime at the, at the checkpoints and gives everyone the chance to kind of meet each other. And that's the fun for me. Uh, so I want to I keep that as is. So last year, because of the pandemic, we were forced to be a little bit outside the box and we established a new style of riding, call it self-sufficient, where you're taking everything you need for the whole journey. You know, the issue with that is obviously the bikes are, are super heavily loaded and they, they feel a bit like driving a bus. They're not fun to ride, but what's beautiful about that is that you're just, you just don't need anyone. You don't need any commercial services. Yeah, you are self-sufficient. You have everything you need. You don't need to stop in shops. And to be in, you know, one of the most developed countries in the world and to have that experience is, is really exciting. So, so that, will, that format will make a reappearance at some point. Um, but also it's about not having any one particular location in that it's the contrast that makes this route so, so fun in my eyes. So, like, obviously a lot of it, you're, you're quite remote and you're traversing traversing the mountains but interceded in that is uh you know massive infrastructure out of bristol you go past the amazon distribution center you've got motorways uh it's like yeah the clash of these different worlds and that's really cool and 
the UK starts to kind of reveal itself. It starts to sort of make sense when you ride like that because you're on a tiny little trail and then it might go into a track and then the track goes into a road and you kind of, you piece together is like why the towns and cities are where they're at. And yeah, it's almost like kind of time travel in a way. And that's, yeah, trying to like, <laughs> so to say, where's the landmark? Well, there isn't one, it's, it is that, is that kind of contrast that makes it. Oh, it's great to make it to the end of stage one. I finished stage one at 4.45 a.m. this morning. And so I'd gone straight through the second night and it was hard. I mean, I don't know how to put it into words. I knew it would be tough, but it was harder than I thought. And as my first gravel race, my maiden race, it's, um, I just look around me at thinking of everyone standing on the start line I've got a lifetime of expeditions to pull on, I've got a lifetime of experience doing hard stuff and yet there's something about the terrain and the sleep deprivation of this, the intensity of the race format which is just brutal. So I've got so much respect for everyone who takes on this because even if you're watching this, however you're imagining it, it's harder. It's harder. I rode for 16 hours and then I got three and a bit hours sleep up on um, Beacon Hill. Uh, I was going to say near Bristol, but uh, it is near Bristol by road, but uh, not the route our, that we went through the Mendips. Um, I thought I'll wake up and I'll get to Bristol for breakfast. I wasn't there till 11 a.m. By that point, I was really hungry. So I did 16 hours, three and a bit hours sleep, and then I rode for 25 hours straight, so just over. and. Um, I sort of thought, based on my speed when I got to Wales, across the Severn Bridge, that I would um, uh, get to finish about 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. And then I just went slower and slower and slower. There's a big famous climb called the Gap, which was absolutely unrideable for most part. I mean, you could ride on the way up, but the descent, I was skipping all over the place, pushing the bike, just worried about didn't want to break a spoke. I mean, I know the bike's an amazingly strong setup, but you can't afford to break stuff at this stage. And then reached in the middle of the night what everyone fondly calls the never-ending forest. And it's just, it's not often when you're night riding that you can't see any lights, not even on the distant horizon, nothing. Just pitch black for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. You're just in this corridor of trees. And because it's never changing. Occasionally, every 10 minutes, you'll pass a log pile, but apart from that, it's just unchanging. And it kept raining, so it turned the, the gravel surface into a really sort of sticky glue. I stopped and checked my front wheel at some point, one point, thinking that maybe my brake was rubbing. So, you know, at that point I was riding at 11, 12 kilometers an hour, even though most of it was flat. So, if that had been dry, it would have been a lot quicker. An amazing introduction to gravel racing. In the this is testing me beyond anything I've done, certainly for a long time. Uh, Angus Young is just phenomenal at this. You can see he's trained for years at exactly this event. I've never really seen myself as a racer, I've never raced. You know, I'm, I get into my stride weeks, if not months, into an event, so 
what we just did in the last two days was pretty full on for me. Um, I mean, Angus is a two-hour twenty-eight marathon runner. He this year broke the world record for the three peaks. That's running the three highest mountains in Scotland, Wales, and England, and cycling between them. He is an amazing athlete, really amazing athlete, and fast. And I've never been fast. I've been consistent. So I think, being honest. Um, this is his to lose as opposed to mine to win. Um, I never assumed that I would be up near the front of the pack at all. You know, I'm, yeah, I'm super experienced at expeditions, but this is my first race. So, um, yeah, I feel like uh, I performed well in the first stage, but still got a long way to go. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. And now you can wear the Super Sapiens Energy Band, the first and only wearable that can display real-time glucose data directly from Abbott's LibreSense Glucose Sport Biosensor. The Super Sapiens Energy Band is available at supersapiens.com for €159. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens, title sponsor to the cycling podcast and all our shows, including Explore. Super Sapiens allows you to continuously monitor your blood glucose levels, enabling you to learn more and make informed choices about fueling. And they've just launched a new energy band which sits on your wrist and syncs directly with the Abbott Libra Sense Glucose Sport Biosensor via Bluetooth to display minute-by-minute glucose data. For more information on Super Sapiens, go to supersapiens.com. Now back to Mark Bowman and the riders at GB Juro. Angus Young. Yeah, so everything's gone uh, to plan so far. I had a pretty strong plan going into the race um, to start out fast and then um, try and hold that gap. I identified where I was going to stop everywhere beforehand so I stopped for 7 minutes at 200k and then 13 minutes at 450k and those were my only two stops really so I was pleased I managed to stick to that schedule and managed to get here in time yeah well <laughs> um, any science behind the 7 and 13 minutes is there any science behind the 7 and 13 minutes <laughs> no yeah I stopped for those distances those times um, just because I was trying to be as quick as possible you have yeah. to race every single second of it never really take your foot off the gas and just think any minute that you're not riding you know your competitors might well be so you need to keep your foot on the gas the whole time and were you were you surprised to have Mark coming in second or uh Mark's obviously a phenomenal athlete um, and I was really expecting him to be up there in the mix with everything as well so he was definitely someone I was watching going into it um, so I rode quite hard to establish a gap over the first day I think it grew to around two hours and then going through the night was enough to consolidate that and then it slowly crept up over the next day or so What was your highlight from, from the stages? Oh, okay. <laughs> I know, I just really like riding my bike hard the whole time. I enjoyed that bit um, coming over the forestry block just before here. 
but it's just it's about 60k of just pure gravel without going across any roads, past the reservoirs and then up over the forestry, really nice. Philippa Bathai. It was pretty good. First day was, I'd say, pretty solid. And then uh, into the second, third day, everything started to unravel a bit more. It's always exciting, crossing the bridge, getting into Wales, and, yeah, the landscape's sort of really changing at that point. Well, I have done it before, so I guess at times there were, where I was like, oh, my God, why am I doing this again? <laughs> I knew what this was like. But I think... Uh, it, it, actually, it's funny how different the experience is when you're when you're much more sleep deprived. So I've pushed myself a lot harder this time, and therefore I'm experiencing it in a very different way, or I'm remembering it differently. I guess from a sort of personal point of view, it's it's how I'm how I'm trying to race it. So I guess last time, no one had ridden it before, so we all kind of felt like uh, we we were you know, testing this route, so it was an unknown to everyone. As I suppose this time I know that I can finish it, unless, you know, something goes wrong with me or my bike, but I know I'm capable of it, so then it's how much harder can I push it. So I guess you come in with more com a lot more confidence than I would have two years ago, which means I can push harder and test a bit more what I'm capable of, I think. It's uh, been raining pretty heavily overnight, and uh, yeah, everyone's putting on a brave face this morning, but uh, everyone's a bit wet. And um, pretty gnarly stage up into England, Cumbria ahead, and um, yeah, I feel uh, for the, everyone camped out in bivvy bags last night. Oh, and people are still to get in, people are still to finish. Unbelievable, other people getting in at midnight, just a few hours sleep and off we go again. Onwards. Going well? Yeah, going well. Next one. It's a lovely section. It's one of my favourite bits of the whole route. It's quite wet. Yeah. I've had so far. <laughs> Keep going, mate. Good, good. Yeah, running mechanicals this morning. Had to uh, affix my front bag with um, zip ties. But uh, anyway, it's nice to be moving because it was a very, very wet camp. So uh, at least I'm warmed up now. I've got a few more people to catch this time. Onwards. Well, I'm a lot happier than I was. It's uh, Manchester. Uh, I'm happier because my buddy Sean's turned up and um, it's been miserable today, utterly, utterly miserable. Uh, 4,000 meters of climbing in uh, 4,100 meters of climbing in 100 miles. In 100 miles, 4K, it's just been brutal. I walked up a tarmac road 
pushing my bike. I've not done that since I was a kid, but I'm happier now. Uh, it's seven o'clock, I've got food, half past seven, and I'm gonna ride into the night. And I think I'm second again, getting quite used to being second. Stage two was much harder terrain. It was sort of two distinct chapters, getting out of Wales and then um, following the Pennine Bridleway, which headed through some stunning Yorkshire Dales and then uh, finished up here in, uh, in Cumbria. Wales was pretty wet, leaving camp at, uh, after checkpoint one. I think everyone was just keen to get going again. It was a pretty sorry sight with everyone uh, camped out in the rain in their bivvy bags and um, wet sleeping bags. My sleeping bag was dry, tent was soaked, um, but at least my sort of night kit was in better repair than a lot of the field. And it meant that I knew people were gonna have to find some sort of accommodation inside during stage two, because there's no way you can sleep out in a wet sleeping bag. It was just unrelenting. The start of stage two saw 4,000 meters of ascent in the first 100 miles. And so the average speed compared to stage one was, was, was much, much lower. It was beautiful, beautiful climbing. I mean, Wales, I, I'd never ridden gravel in Wales before and um, I absolutely loved it. But um, yeah, I guess the weather, the rain kept my head down a lot of the time. And um, I had some issues with my um, front bag which uh, the straps on it broke and I couldn't find a solution very easily. The tape wouldn't stick because of the rain, the cable ties broke. So I eventually had to get some strings and twine from a shopkeeper and uh, literally just rope it on. Uh, and then it's, it's been fine since then. So um, I kind of lost quite a lot of time in the first few hours and, um, and then spent time catching people back. I was middle of the pack, but I think after about 12 hours, I was in second place again. Angus was well out the front and uh, we kind of settled into the same pattern as, uh, as stage one. I, I, thought, I thought I would have a similar tactic where I would ride all the way through to the early hours and then um, get a few hours sleep and then ride through. The mistake I made is I thought this stage was 570k and actually it's 470k. So that was a wonderful revelation. I don't know where I got that mix up from because I got to basically 430 kilometers check the the sheet to see where we were ending up and realized that uh, I was nearly here as opposed to having to ride through another night so that was amazing absolutely amazing but backtracking to backtracking to Wales coming down through these amazing mountain bike uh, tracks and trails um, the rain stopped came out the hills for what felt like the first time in a long time and um, was on the roads and the flatlands through Chester and all the way to Manchester. And it was just wonderful to actually see 20 kilometers an hour, having been sitting at, you know, eight, nine, 10 for hour after hour after hour. And uh, smashed into the night, thinking that I would ride till midnight, one o'clock in the morning. But actually by that time I was in proper suburbia, hit the Manchester um, canal, you know, at midnight and uh, there's nowhere to stop along there. I was spat out right in the middle of uh, 
Manchester city centre, you know, after midnight, you know, at one point you're pedalling under the, the, the football stadium, the big Sir Alex Ferguson stands right there. And um, yeah, it's just bizarre, a bit surreal because one moment you're pedaling through Snowdonia National Park and then a few hours later you're there's Old Trafford and um, you know Manchester city centre. Yeah, they're two very different worlds, yet yeah, joining them by bike is pretty cool. Um, but it did mean that I had to ride through till half past three in the morning to find anywhere to sleep before I was back out in the wilds. There was some pretty eerie riding because it was, um, I had to go back up over some, some hills with a wind farm and um, it was foggy, it was rainy, couldn't see the turbines, I could just hear them and at points they were right over your head so um, yeah it was, it was pretty eerie out there at 2-3 o'clock in the morning. I eventually found a, an outdoor leadership centre where I could sleep literally underneath the porch. It was the only bit of dry space I could find and um, I got a couple of hours but uh, I'm glad I did. All respect to Angus who just smashed through the entire stage without any rest at all because um, the, the Pennine Bridleway and uh, the whole Yorkshire Dales is incredibly tough riding, really slow. Um, beautiful, a lot of gates, but it was windy, properly windy up there. Yeah, just a lot of really remote cycling with not many places to pick up supplies. It was such a, a big milestone to hit Cumbria. By that point I was like, wow, I really am in the north. Beautiful road section, descending back out the clouds into, it was a different world down here. Up, up top, you know, cloudy, high winds, valley floors, you know, relatively sunny, clear and uh, still. But I knew that this thing on the tail would be going over the knock. I didn't know what it was like on the far side. I knew that the little village where Checkpoint 2 is was off the far side. But um, whilst it's uh, the highest point on the whole, uh, on the whole tour, um, it's a pretty simple road ride all the way up the far side, whereas the descent off the back is pretty gnarly, hike a bike. And um, I was so glad to be doing that during the day, albeit late in the evening. I think I got here about half past eight in the evening. Um, a lot of people did that at night, which uh, meant river crossings and, you know, at points, you know, halfway up your calves in mud. So, um, and it's, if you didn't have a GPS track, it, you, would, you would easily lose where the trail is because it's so, um, it's so boggy and marshy up there. So uh, it's just an amazing way to, to finish stage two because, um, you know, you kind of think you're done and with Yorkshire behind you uh, and then you've just got this insane, beautiful climb and then hike a bike to get down here. A very, very different stage two to stage one. A little bit shorter, but um, ride time in terms of average speed on the bike was, uh, was, was a lot lower because a lot more off-road, a lot more technical riding and uh, certainly massively tested me being a roadie. You know, there was a start list of 60 riders on this event. Um, not all 60 rode out from Land's End, but still. At this point, there's only about 18 left in the GC, the general classifications. So many people have scratched. You know, there's some seriously good riders in there. So I don't think it's necessarily like how technical you are or even how fit you are. If your head and your heart aren't in this ride, you're not gonna complete it. It's just such a battle of attrition. It's so hard physically. You get so bruised touching the palms of my hands, which are still incredibly tender. So it's an amazing experience. I'm, I'm absolutely enjoying it, but don't confuse enjoyment for pleasure. It's, uh, it's hard. Chute, chute à l'arrière du peloton, cycling podcast, team car, the back of the pack, please.
That said, PK, to remind me to tell you that this episode of Explore is sponsored by NordVPN, which is a virtual private network to keep your data safe and secure when you're online. As you're listening to this podcast, you're probably the type of person who likes to go off exploring, either on two wheels or otherwise, and you no doubt take your phone with you, or perhaps a tablet, or even your laptop, and perhaps online security is something you've started to think about a bit more recently. It's certainly something that I've taken more seriously in the last year or so, and actually, I signed up for NordVPN as a customer before they began advertising in the cycling podcast. And I did so because I realised that when I was away working for the podcast, I was using hotel Wi-Fi or even hotspots in town squares or tethering my laptop to my phone, and I was becoming increasingly concerned about the security of those connections. Not because I was worried anyone was going to steal the podcast audio files, before our producers had chance to make them into an episode, but I did get much more jittery when I logged into my online bank account and I was uh, transferring some money and paying bills and I was worried about the security of those connections. And so I signed up for NordVPN then and I've used it now on several devices. You can actually use the software on up to six devices, your laptop, phone, smart TV, a tablet or even your router so that you can protect your data uh, wherever you are. And at the moment, you can take advantage of NordVPN's Cyber Month deal by going to nordvpn.com TCP or using the code TCP, and that will give you up to 73% off your NordVPN plan and a bonus gift. So go to nordvpn.com TCP. We'll put the details in the show notes. Day six, GB Giro 21, and uh, about to start stage three. Uh, it's 480 kilometers up into Scotland, can't wait, through Keeler Forest, uh, should get to Falkirk some point in the middle of the night, and then uh, smash on up to Fort Augustus at the foot of Loch Ness. I'm a little bit recovered, I'm still sore clearly. A um, lot of bruising in the hands and other parts of the body just from the, the tough technical riding. But uh, some riders have literally just come in, in the last hour, have to grab a copy and coffee and head back out again. That's the wonderful thing about this event, whether you're the fastest rider or at the, at the, the slower end, um, everyone's brought back together for a mass start in the next stage. So an amazing event. Stage two broke a lot of people. There's been a lot of scratches, but um, spirits are high for stage three. Onwards to Scotland. Jenny Graham. It's funny, isn't it? It's like the ultimate formal watching that dots go around. Um, I, I couldn't make the race this year, but I've got a lot of friends doing it and I'm at home and I'm looking at the dots and I'm like, right, get off the computer, stop, stop doing this, like get on with your work. And then I find myself like back looking at the dots again, be like, oh, they're doing good. And then, you know, I was just living in Bernays. It's just, you know, a couple of hours up the road there. Um, and I knew that everyone would be hanging out here and so I was, yeah, you just have to make time and come and say hi and just, you know, just be a 
tiny little part of it just get a glimpse into how everyone's doing and yeah just sort of show your support you know that they're doing great I, I mean Mark's just doing incredible isn't he I have really good fun with Mark because we've um, we've both got the round the world record for male and female and his was much faster than mine with a full support crew so I do have uh, fun winding him up about how he needs a massage every four hours and you know he's probably got a bread maker in the van and he has just proved me wrong hasn't he he's just smashed out of the park and I'm not sure I can have the same digs at him for being soft anymore that's it he's yeah he's definitely proved that he can do he can do it all oh, I'd love to ride Jibijuro oh my goodness yeah definitely um you know I was now I wasn't very sure if I would like the setup of the stages I didn't think it would play into my strengths I like the sort of endurance side of things you know and that like just keeping going um, and I find stopping I get too carried away and too excited and then lose loads of energy but actually watching it this year I've been like yeah I can see how that could be fun I can see how going hard and then having this sort of social time would would be a really nice way to spend a couple of weeks riding up the country how are you doing <laughs> Good, how are you? Yeah, feeling really strong today. You're flying? Yeah, my legs are just like amazing. Um, keeping the pressure on the pedals and it's going, going, going. Really been amazing. I've had one of the best days on the bike ever. Like coming over the borders, I forgot how nice that bit was. Yeah. Because all of this I missed last year. Yeah. Um, we pulled out those points, so. <laughs> Yeah, it's just beautiful. Um, and we've got yeah, a nice bit of wilderness coming up as well. Not too long. It's a quick um, reroute through Falkirk because they closed the bridge at night, which I didn't know. Nearly cycled off the edge of it. <laughs> uh, a bit of a shock. The silver lining is I might be able to get some food in Polkart. It's starting to rain so hopefully it'll come through that tonight. So I'm lying third uh, on this stage. Comfortable second overall. Fine, no. I don't think it will go any further. Yeah, if it's not moving then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all sorted. And I'm now just adjusting my brakes. That thing said it was rough, huh? Have you seen this? Holy shit. How did you. Oh, well, I didn't want to stop in the night to change my brakes. I knew they were rubbing. I didn't know how badly they were rubbing. It was too dark. I mean, that's why they were rubbing, wasn't it? There was nothing left to rub. Well, <laughs> they, they were, stopped they were rubbing. making a pretty bad noise. And I'm I don't not surprised. <laughs> but it was so dark and it was so wet, I just couldn't stop. That's why I couldn't keep going last night. It was just like, I, I'd been rained on for 12 hours. And I was like, I need to stop and get clean. Ugh, come on. That is mental. 
<laughs> I'm surprised that you even managed to stop at all. Yeah, they work fine. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, it says something about the pads, huh? <laughs> the bike's all fixed, and um, hopefully it's got 370 kilometres in that. It's not perfect, but um, it just needs to make it to the end now. There's so much wear and tear on the bike. So I just need to look after myself now, get some more calories in, get some more sleep, and at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning, the final assault through the north of Scotland. Angus Young. So, about two hours before I arrived, I uh, found out that I'd been disqualified for accepting outside assistance. So I had a good two hours of riding to process everything. Um, obviously a lot of different emotions go through your head whilst you're going through all of that. At first I was, I was fuming really to be honest. I was really angry and obviously it's quite easy to sort of start, start blaming like the organisers and thinking like, well, why would they do that? You know, I've put so much work into it and everything. But in reality, like looking at the rules, it is really clear. Like what I did was outside assistance and I can't argue with that so like thinking things through clearly means that you know I did, I did what I did and I didn't have any other options really my my bike was goosed and you know it's either 70 kilometer walk to go to find a bike shop one way or maybe a yeah 230 on the thing there wasn't anything I could do so I think with what I had available to me, with me, I'm glad that I did manage to get to ride to the end and complete the route. There's a lot to be said for still like pushing through these things. I think, yeah, maybe I could have spent a bit more time trying to get, a, get it to work and bodge it together a little bit. But at the time, I thought that it was all within the rules because I thought there'd been precedent where it turns out that situation was subtly different. Um, so I thought I'd lucked out that I'd managed to find someone who's willing to lend me their bike but yeah it turns out that it's not always that simple and it's down to some, some nuance in these things but yeah it was really really clear in the end yeah <laughs> I'm really really pleased with how, how I rode coming into the event my, my goal was just to win but about halfway through I realised that there was a chance that I could go for Lachlan's record and I was pleased that I did manage to complete the distance in, in the time that would have given me the record. Granted, it's without outside the rules but it shows that my legs, are, my legs are there so I can take that going forward to future events that I'm, I'm up there and I can, I can do that if I need to. Obviously, this was number, GB Jury number three for me two years ago. Yeah, I came second to Lachlan, had a great time. Last year, got halfway through and had to scratch from the cold. <laughs> and then this year, obviously got the disqualification for the bike. So it's <laughs> still an unfinished business. But I think I'll give it a miss next year for sure, just because there are so many great events out there. It takes so much out of you to ride an event like this. Um, I think I might give another, some others a go. The Cycling Podcast is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport. Fueled by science.
Thanks to Science and Sport for their support of the Cycling Podcast. As a listener to our Explore series, who might be inspired by some of the stories in these episodes to plan your own cycling adventure, you can get 25% off all your Science and Sport products. Go to scienceandsport.com and at the checkout enter the code SISCP25. That's 25% off all your Science and Sport products at scienceandsport.com with the code SISCP25. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you have an about the bike? I heard he had an issue with his bike, but um, yeah, and he, um one of the dot watchers, Lendix, bike to him and then that was against the rules, so he came in first, obviously, but then... Yeah, he's miles ahead of me. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, he's been disqualified. Oh, poor him. That's, uh... Oh, I'm gutted for him. <laughs> that was absolutely brutal. I can't tell you how many things went wrong overnight. I'm so shaky. Look at my front tire. Success. John O'Groats, a place I know well, but um, I don't think I've ever felt quite so wrecked here. I was, that was a hell of a night. An absolute hell of a night. Oh, well, it's just amazing to be here. Amazing to be here. And um, I've arrived to learn that um, Angus was disqualified for... Um, uh, he had a broken bike, nothing he could do, but he jumped on uh, jumped on somebody else's bike, which is against the rules. So I'm genuinely gutted for Angus. Uh, he deserved to win this. And, uh, yeah, um, I was lying in second, which I guess gives me the win, but that's not the way it feels right now. Ah, gutted for him. He, 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 he won every stage by a country mile, and um, Sears Mechanical has tripped him up at the final hurdle. On, on my ride, um, I knew I had a slash in my sidewall, which I rode super gently on for the first half, which was the off-road, like, really tough section. And uh, it was fine by riding super slowly, really, really gently. I was right in the middle of the pack. And then um, as I got to the roads in the better sections, it just started to slow puncture and um, did everything I could. Put glue on it, tried to patch it again, and um, yeah, it was uh, it was just a mission all night long. I had to pump it up every 15, 20 minutes, um, and it was just super squidgy all the time. So um, that's a long way to ride like that. And then I um, ran out of food. So uh, oh, here's two more finishers. Hey. <laughs> well done, buddy. You have to lift it in the air. No, you don't. <laughs> don't listen to her, she's lying. Don't destroy the signpost. <laughs>
bloody two us. <laughs> How do you feel? <laughs> Better than when I got here. <laughs> Relieved, no. That last bit was not nice, but it's beautiful before that. Like the, the there was a horrible last gravel bit, but there was like it was amazing sunrise and um and like a moon full moon all night. It was amazing. I was I was literally all nighter. How are you feeling? Okay. That was a fairly easy day. Go back again, race back down the other way now. That's a long time. Ready, mate. Philippa Bathai. <laughs> Uh, GV Giro was great. Ended with a bang, so that's all I can remember now. Well, it was the, the fourth stage where scenery was amazing, the sun came out, and then had the most magical night ride, guided by the moon. Yeah, it was great. There was just the moon the whole way, reflecting in, I've forgotten what lock it was. It was, it was magical. It was really nice. It would have been a very, very different uh, all-nighter if there wasn't a moon there. <laughs> so I think it really helped. The whole race. Well, I had a bit of a dip in the middle when I was feeling a bit ill. And I was wondering if I'd be able to set off on stage three. But other than that, because I, I, knew, I, knew I, I knew it would all get done, I just had to get on and do it and then try and enjoy it as much as possible. If you're even considering it, give it a go. And I know a lot of people especially this year, seem to have scratched, but hopefully they'll come back. Oh, and the other bit of advice is, if you do start it, stage one and stage two are so much harder. And if you stick at it, stage three and four are the rewards for getting through stage one and two. Victoria Peel. I need a beer. <laughs> yeah, um, been a tough day, tough week even. I've never done any bikepacking before, literally just a couple of little trips, like one or two nights, just to get the feel for it a bit, but never anything this long, never any races this long either. The route was pretty damn good, to be honest, a good mixture of everything, road, off-road, different varieties of terrain off-road. The people racing were just brilliant people, you know, kind of wish for a better crowd to be amongst. Yeah, just all around, just a good experience, really. I think, yeah, being selective of who rides, um, giving women the opportunity to ride rather than just say, you know, you might not be capable, like you don't have an entry. It's good to see, it's like normally at a race you'll see 50 blokes at least in a cyclocross race and maybe a dozen women at most. So I think even just encouraging women to race more, even if like, to at least just make the start line, doesn't matter how well they do, you know, how far they get, it's just making the start line for a race like this is an achievement, I think. So it's pretty damn daunting. Great Dunfell was uh, an interesting one. Yeah, four or five miles of barely rideable terrain. It was good though. Nice bit of a hiker bike, taking your bike for a walk downhill. So yeah, it generally was all very good to be fair. John O'Groats, and uh, this place couldn't come soon enough. I, um, I was in a bit, of, a bit of a state by the time I finished this morning. 
I'd been nursing that front tyre for the whole of uh, stage four. It was stunning. I absolutely loved the scenery. By far my favourite stage, but you know, when you've got a concern about the bike, um, and I was pumping up the tyre every 15, 20 minutes to get it through. But I, I also ran out of food, so I, I bonked, I sort of hit the wall and felt pretty rubbish. But then having to ride hard for the last hour. When I got here, you know, I should have been, you know, elated, but actually I felt <laughs> really dizzy and uh, just had to lie down. So it wasn't quite the euphoric pulling back flips that I expected at the finale. I've been to John O'Groats a number of times on bike trips and um, some pretty hard ones, like as a relay in less than 40 hours, but this was harder, this was harder. I really feel, felt like I'd earned that finish sign. And um, yeah, it was bizarre to rock up just after sunrise. A couple of the riders were there, slept in their sleeping bags right next to the sign on the grass. Yeah, just relief, absolute relief. The last 10 days has been, without doubt, one of the hardest rides I've ever taken on. And, you know, that's in the context of the big expedition. So, okay, it was shorter, you know, it's only 10 days, but um, it's just full on in terms of the sleep deprivation, the terrain. I had so much to learn in terms of gravel bike packing. It's a whole new world to me. My maiden race and uh, I'm really pleased that it went. I was super consistent. Every stage I managed to sort of ride at a good pace throughout and um, it paid off, like it really paid off. The wonderful thing about an event like this, yes, there's a, there's a field and there's a, there's a leaderboard, but the only person you're really racing is yourself. And you really, really go into yourself. You've got so much time in your own head thinking your way through the night shift, that sleep deprivation. They're big old stages. So, you know, every time you set out on a stage, you're not gonna, you know you're gonna be riding somewhere between 22, 23, and up to 40 hours. It's the sort of event where if you're road riding, you know, you can get a tailwind and you can kind of cruise sections if the conditions are with you. On a, on a, on a gnarly gravel route like this, there's no easy miles really, like you have to, there's that constantly changing terrain, there's that constant challenge of how am I going to get through and find enough, you know, water and food and, you know, just the logistics of the ride as well. It's physically and mentally hugely demanding, but I've absolutely loved the camaraderie of, of the group with a, a start list of 60 riders. There's only about a dozen finished in the GC in the general classification. And um, the stories, you know, the, everyone's had their own adventure to get here. When else in life do you get to push yourself this hard? Go on an adventure close to home, but see it in completely new ways. And it's only for the other bike riders to really understand, you know, what it was like out there. The images and the, the filming are, are amazing, but the real understanding of this route is through the physical exertion within it. It's not a passive thing. It's not being a tourist and admiring the views or you know seeing an amazing sunrise. It's, it's being in it and working for it. And I think the physical element, the, 
the sleep deprivation, the where you are physiologically, then interacts with the landscape around you and just makes it so much more intense. And that's that's what these adventures are like for me. That's what they're all about. It's that fine balance between what you're going through physically and mentally to keep the momentum and keep the journey and how that's rewarded with the sense of, of place, landscapes, just wilderness. I never considered giving up. For sure it was really hard. It was lots of dark moments, you know, trying to fix my tire in the middle of the night or, you know, hurting myself, just, just covered in cuts and scrapes and bruises. No, I felt pretty rotten at times, but I'd never had any reason to give up, to quit. You know, when I decide I want to do something, I'm not gonna get into the middle of it and then rethink my motivation. Um, I think through, you know, quarter of a century of doing expeditions, you know, I've learned to be pretty single-minded about projects and I know I'm gonna suffer, I know it's gonna be difficult, but I think that that's the hardest bit to explain to people who have not been on sort of expeditions before. You've just got to take quitting off the table. It's just not an option. Unless it's actually about safety. Unless it's about, I'm never going to stop just because it's hard. I would only stop because it's unsafe. I would encourage anyone to try GB Duro. It is a phenomenal way to see the British Isles. Uh, I don't think I'll be doing it again. I don't need to. I think I've had the full experience, um, but I'll definitely be back. I'll definitely be dreaming up another adventure before long, but best sleep needed before then. You've been listening to an episode of Explore by the Cycling Podcast. A huge thanks to Mark Bowman for offering to keep an audio diary for us. I certainly enjoyed it and I hope you did too. Thanks also to Will Jones who produced this episode. 